0: contacting us and now we're going to go to latin america because it's a part of the world that really doesn't get enough coverage and there's a massive um story developing there in terms of human rights we're going to talk to john ponfilio he is talk tv's latin american correspondent a warm welcome to you john and thank you very much indeed for joining us here overnight on talk tv good morning good evening good night to you johnny (laughs) john what time of day is it is it and where exactly are you it's
1: 8pm here, so we're still the day before, and I am in southern Mexico, uh, in the state of Campeche, in the, in the uh, hot, sweaty tropics, where wow. currently at the moment, every second of every day is about wiping beads of sweat off of your brow and other body parts.
0: <laughs> and what about the air conditioning there, I mean, do people have, uh, is it a common appliance, or do people have to grin and bear it in your part of Mexico? Right.
1: I think, I think it's really interesting these days, um, especially with uh, a kind of new modern construction, uh, the design component of new builds absolutely assumes that you're going to have aircon. Uh, but these old houses, I mean, I'm in calling you from an old house today, actually have much higher ceilings and are designed with better airflow. So you know, not everywhere has air conditioning, but for sure, uh, yeah, these days, architecture predisposes towards air conditioning for sure.
0: So interesting. Now, we want to talk to you about Mexico here because you spent time with Pedro Ucbe. Excuse my pronunciation. Maybe you'll.
1: No, it's good. Is that okay?
0: Yeah, it's very good. A Mayan indigenous land and human rights defender at a time when they're being killed at a greater rate each year. The Mayans very much exist but are under increasing threat from a variety of reasons. Most of all, major infrastructure projects in the Yucatan Peninsula. That's a very profound idea. Before we describe who the Mayans are, isn't it a profound idea that it's not just nature that is affected by building of infrastructure, uh, the instruments of um, uh, humanity's construction, but it's also fellow human beings that uh be that's that's a profound yeah, it's, message
1: it's displacement of of people and when you displace people especially indigenous communities the memory culture uh identity for many indigenous communities indigenous communities is absolutely linked to to place uh, and so when you when uh, big building projects come into certain areas which generally speaking by by big business are regarded as being spaces that are kind of terra nullius where people don't live. Certainly, you know, are not being economically productive. And actually, what, what tends to happen is that I mean, where it's most obvious for us, I think, is in terms of the Amazon, the Amazon uh, jungle, the Amazon rainforest. Crops up a lot in the international news cycle in mm. terms of deforestation and how that links to indigenous communities. The 200 odd different indigenous nations that exist in Brazil. Alone there, but also wow. during COVID, for example, you know, the extermination of these communities uh, and th- these communities don't have libraries, computers, and so on. So, memory bank for these communities, and, and not just for these communities, but for humanity, resides up here, resides in individuals and elders, and so on. So, um, I mean, to, to go back a step, as you were saying, Johnny, I think one of the things which is we generally forget about lots of parts of the world. To say here, you know, whether it's the Aztec in the center of Mexico, or the, the Mayans in the southern, or the Incas in Peru and so on, is that actually they weren't completely wiped out, that uh, they are in differing stages of health. And certainly, uh, the Mayan world continues to exist. We generally view the Mayan universe as being really good at maths, stargazing, and some amazing archaeological sites. Uh, but, but actually, uh, the, the, the Yucatan Peninsula in particular, stretching into Tabasco and down into to guatemala and, and el salvador is very much still in place and the languages in these communities still exist and still pursue something akin to a uh, mayan culture which you would have seen over the course of the last uh, few hundred years for sure they are very disparate they are rural communities so uh, th- they're definitely not massively organized uh, or driven by uh, contemporary uh, needs and focuses but you know what i've been hearing not just with pedrope in the last week but actually with Mayan defenders and human rights defenders for the last few years is that uh, I mean actually one of the interesting things that Pedro says is just getting through a day just surviving is its own kind of defense mm. uh, but we are now at a point at which we are losing indigenous languages indigenous memory uh, at a rate uh, unseen before which is uh, internationally. really
0: really worrying and The implication here, just looking at his name, I'm just constructing his name here, Pedro Ugbe, it implies that there are some urban influences, some Hispanic influences upon the Mayans. Is there a significant urban population of Mayans who are able to use that urbanity, so to speak, the fact that they have assimilated to a certain extent, to defend their people, to give the Mayans... Um a voice within Mexican society.
1: yeah, and you do still you do definitely get um, indigenous uh, representatives that maybe uh, move across to to another side of, of the of the debate, if you like, and they speak from within you know a more urban uh, say uh, I guess media landscape than you like of uh, of Pedro. there would be generally a conflict between those two different parts of the community because on the one hand, in, you know, in order to inhabit that, that urban, modern space, then you obviously need to have uh, you need to have bought into that, that ideal to, to, to a certain point. Whereas the likes of Pedro Ope and uh, the the Mayan assembly of the much Chimbal, uh, his his associates that represent about 25 different indigenous communities in the Yucatan, would say we we are here. This is our land. These are our people. And we have certain no-goes uh, beyond which we cannot step. We will not sell land. We will not rent land. We are the defenders of mine history and culture. And that also involves a deep, deep relationship, profound relationship to rural landscape in the Yucatan Peninsula. It cannot involve existing in a city.
0: John, let's talk about uh, Mexican politics now and we all know roughly that Donald Trump wanted to build a wall uh, on the southern border in Mexico and that Mexico would pay for it in a way that you would not have a border with Canada. And one of the big rallying cries in the opposition in Mexico at the moment relates to the militarization of security agencies in Mexico, something which has no precedent for working out well in Latin America. It sounds like, to me, John, that (laughs) sounds like killing squads on behalf of the government, I mean, is that? Is that... I mean, it's never designed
1: that way no. to start off with, you know. But it, that's not the. And, and actually, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO, uh, the the Mexican president, is at pains to say that this is not what it what is happening. I mean, just to give you a bit of context here. So, so broadly speaking, this president, who's he's halfway through his single term at the moment, is uh, desperate with with doing stuff with legacy. He is the first leftist president. In Mexico for a long time, I mean, a really, really long time, uh, and he's been trying to become president for an extended period of time as well. So he's desperate to get stuff done. In the uh, the, the the downside of you know if the inhibitor, if you like, with with what he's trying to get done, of course is insecurity. Of course, are the cartels and drug tra- 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 trafficking and so on. And uh, innate to that is the fact that he fundamentally cannot trust. Any of his government agencies, any of his, his security forces at all. So he has developed this parallel security structure called the National Guard, which has been, become increasingly militarised over time. Up until the point at which now uh, there's been legislation passed which formally militarised this uh, body, and it is now under the uh, the control of the. Of the army of the military so you know, in, in one sense he would say well that's great because it means that we know that these things are going to get done and, that, and the population is going to be safe and so on and we can actually fight drug trafficking effectively but of course any student of history knows whether you're looking at uh, uh the shining path rebels in peru uh through to the farc and colombian the armed forces that when you when you uh, militarize these spaces that actually atrocities happen 50 50 on, on both sides, and, and that's the way that, of course, everybody is worried that this is going to go here.
0: Yeah, um, and again, uh, talking about that, I mean, there's the potential here for a civil war kind of idea. If you militarize the establishment against uh, drug traffickers, or indeed um, anyone else, politicized versions of those drug traffickers who then support the poor uh, in that country, if there's not an important or Quality enough welfare state—that's what happens, isn't it? You get a civil war situation potentially.
1: Yeah, and uh, absolutely. And, and one of the—that's one of the critiques. That, you know, that people are, are coming back to him with saying that actually the fundamental rethinking of these spaces means that you need to uh, deal with some of the political ecosystems around everything that's that's taking place here. Quite having he goes about that. You know, I don't really know. And nobody really knows. Otherwise, they would have they would have done it already. Fundamentally. Uh, you've got a, a, a situation here where you've got the, the United States of America, which is the, the, the global economic powerhouse, and you've got Mexico, which shares its southern border, which is very di- you know, distinctly not as uh, economically developed as the U.S. And so there is a massive supply and demand chain uh, that moves across this space, and that involves drugs, but it involves a whole he- whole heap of other things that move across that border: humans, drugs, uh, sorry, humans, guns, and, and and a wide variety of things. Uh, and and the like. So is that going to be shifted by, you know, simple, by putting more guns on the streets, by militarizing a space, by beefing up that border, by making it taller, by making it uh, deeper and so on? None of that fundamentally changes the the economic disparity that exists between the United States and Mexico, through which, you know, no matter how big you build it, how dense you build it, it's going to continue to be porous.
0: And can I talk to you about the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico? Um, Because it seems to me that it's such a massive schism that there isn't that cooperation. I mean, I've actually crossed the border as a young boy with my family uh, from Arizona into Mexico. And what was so profound about that crossing was that the town had the same name. It was a border town in Arizona. I think it was called San Pedro. Across the border, it's still San Pedro, but there were open sewers. There were no pavements. That. The roads, this is 30 years ago or so, so maybe things have changed, but the roads weren't paved and then right across the border in the San Pedro in Arizona, it's America with its highways and its broad streets and its Denny's and its, you know, uh, McDonald's and all the other kind of places, the gas stations and everything. Um, It it seemed such a... I mean they're next to each other and they're completely unrelated. That, That seemed a very profound difficulty actually for Mexico
1: yeah look i mean it, physically i think uh, in terms of uh, how you see these things and how they look and how they feel they're completely unrelated but actually you know um, there's a huge number of people that cross that border on a daily basis in order to i mean at the moment you've got uh, fairly recently in terms of fuel prices in the us you had people crossing into uh, into mexico you have daily workers crossing from mexico up into the us now with the new abortion laws in the us as well You've got a fair few people that, that are coming down into parts of Mexico to receive pills to be able to take back into and, and this is the this is the, the current, present and modern future of states like like Texas. It is a completely unique uh, space, uh, in, in which you, you see disparities perhaps like no other on earth. But also it is it's not a small border, it's not, you know, Belize, Guatemala. This is two thousand miles of border. And as you say, it goes, you know, you go from the San Isidro crossing uh in uh, tijuana san diego which is the most crossed border uh, point in on earth today through to parts of arizona where you have no border crossings at all you have no walls you have maybe three people and a goat potentially i'm not sure that was exactly where you crossed johnny <laughs> no. but but the cross uh, and actually you know it's complete no man's land and, and then you get you come down to the rio grande in texas as well which is also you know, massively uh, problematic as we've seen in recent news cycles so yeah it, it is a it is a vast uh, complex, massively unregulated space.
0: And beautifully put together, John Bonfilio, our Latin American correspondent here on Talk TV, thank you very much indeed for explaining Mexico to our audience and, you know, it's very important to keep a, a look out on, uh, on other world issues, other places, because, quite simply, uh, we don't ever hear about these places. And I think it's really important. John Ponfilio is our Latin American correspondent right here on Talk TV. One of the headlines... I-